0: You're listening to the Makers & Mystics Podcast. This is Season 9, Episode 10, Roundtable 2, Part 1. The Makers & Mystics roundtables are unscripted, unedited conversations around a particular topic. Season 9's roundtables are centered around mental, emotional, and spiritual health as it pertains to the creative artist. Joining me for this discussion is visual artist and performance speaker, Scott Erickson, and trauma therapist, ritual maker, and New York City-based artist, Heather Stringer. I'm your host, Stephen Roach, and this is our second roundtable discussion on mental, emotional, and spiritual health. All right, Heather and Scott, thank you guys so much for joining me on the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is our second roundtable discussion for season nine of the show. And as you both know, this season we've been talking about mental, emotional, and spiritual health as it relates to the creative artists. And so I'm really excited to talk with both of you. You both have a unique perspective as it relates to this. Heather, your work in therapy and in your counseling, and then Scott, of course. Your show focuses largely on mental health and things of that nature. I'm excited to jump into this and and see where this conversation might go. So thanks for joining me. Glad to be here. Yeah. Well, I think the last time that I really connected with both of you, Heather, it was pre-pandemic. And then, Scott, you and I did the virtual Breath and Clay. Was that 2021 or was that 2020? It's all a blur. It's 2020. Gosh, it was the yeah. saddest, saddest time of my life. <laughs> well, I just talked to my friend, Joel Maccaro. I don't know if you know Joel. He's a poet from over in Australia. And he literally boarded the plane from Melbourne, flew to San Francisco, got off the plane, figured out that the world had shut down, got back on the plane, and <laughs> flew so, back. To so Australia. smart. So smart. Yeah, Yes. It was uh, quite the disaster at that point, but... um This past two years, I mean, in all seriousness, it really has been a tremendous strain on everybody's mental, emotional, and spiritual health, not just the artist, but for all of us, you know? And uh, in my work with Makers and Mystics and some of the creative community work that I do, I'm seeing that a lot. And it seems like one of the primary things that people are facing is, is isolation and not knowing how to connect, even with the world opening back up. And then alongside of that, depression and just a, a sense of, um, I guess the old 13th century mystics would have called it acedia, you know, just this lethargy of heart. So I don't know who wants to dive in. Who's got some thoughts?
1: I can start with the, I mean, there's just the sense of time has been really warped. And I remember, I mean, I think I did something for your patrons where um, just the act of remembering each month yes. of like, where have you been and how do you mark each month? Like, so some of my work is, is around ritual making and helping people become reoriented to their life after some chaos or after a change. But I think so often, and I think the use of technology really kind of hijacks our sense of like, where am I? And that obviously got exacerbated during the pandemic, where if you're already struggling with what, what am I doing? Where am I? And then, and then that comes in like a tidal wave. There's just this really profound disorientation, I think around who am I, where am I, what's, what is the, the intent of my life? What's the purpose of my life? And so I think people, it, maybe in our culture in particular, there, there aren't those rhythms that that we have that help us mark time, mark where we are, find ways that like orient us towards what's happening. And I think it's hard to orient when there is really no orientation. But that, I mean, that's like my initial, just the need for ritual during a time when there is really no sense of time.
2: What are, uh, as a person who hasn't participated with you in that, but as a person who has participated with the like, what did I even do? what day is it even today? <laughs> like what are the, what are some of the things that you have people put a finger to touch in with? Is it space? Is it time? Is it schedule? Is it like, what is it?
1: Yeah, I think it's all of it. I mean, I think it's when I did the, the ritual for um, makers and mystics or was it breath and clay? I always it was
0: makers and mystics. Yeah.
1: Okay, makers and mystics. I mean, I think that we're all having experiences, but because of this, the sense of like, there's no, there's no really routine or, or the frame from which I used to exist in is, is, is obliterated. I don't think that negates that people are having different experiences or different, or different heartaches or even moments of joy of like, oh, I get to be more introverted. So I, there was this, this sense of how do we actually go back and remember so that you can become present to where you are now? So there was just using I think it was like oil to mark where there was like a longing or where there was a lot of sorrow over what was taken dirt for, or maybe it's ash. I can't remember exactly, but ash over just what has had to die because there hasn't been any, any, any way of reviving your life because it's, everything has been completely restrained. And so to me, it, it was more around remembering and finding that, oh, you have been in, in a in a place in space and time and you have been having thoughts and you have been having a life, but because it's in this like glob of no man's land, it's harder to really sense, have a sense of where you've been. Yeah. So that, I mean, I think that's, that's part of what I've invited people into is, is more of like the act of memory.
0: A thought that's coming to mind is how interesting it is that disorientation is a real part of what you're saying. And even as you're, we're just talking about reorienting. I was like, man, it's so true. It's, it's unconscious how circadian we are in our lives. It's, it's so unconscious how much rhythm plays a role in health and well-being. And, and there's something about establishing patterns. Of course, there's a ditch on the other side of the road. We are creatures of habit. But there is something about the cyclical nature of our humanity that was disrupted and it was unconscious until we had to become conscious of it. And so I'm really fascinated with that idea of reorienting and how that plays into identity and our understanding of place in the world. I just have been revisiting
2: Michael W. Smith's seminal album, Go West, Young Man, with <laughs> yes. the pop hit Looking for a Reason, Roaming Through the Night to Find My Place in This. I have whispered that song to myself many times in the last couple of <laughs> years just like because i'm like what's this and i am like man smitty nailed it um, uh who knew what a prophet! Hilarious. uh it is funny but it is kind of just like this like what <laughs> yeah there was all the and and this is poignant to talk about this because we were talking a little bit before but like you know, you asked me I was going to come to Breath and Clay and like speak, and I like bought an outfit, and I was <laughs> I was like, this is like a dream coming true. And then <laughs> I had to make a video in this room, um, and and I watched like my whole calendar go away. And I know things have come back a bit. They've been real complicated over the last six months, but with performing and stuff like that. But there is this like wound. That's just kind of like, is it ever, like, is it worth doing? Will it, how quickly can it just go away again? Um, I'm even finding uh, my attendance is really lower than usual or has Uh been. And I'm like, maybe people are just over what I'm doing. Or I was like, maybe people are just like, I just can't, I can't go yet. I'm not out. I'm not, it's like this, like, postpartum pandemic kind of yes. low. I don't, I don't know, like.
1: That's a good way of putting it.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I, and I feel that I'm a participant in that too. So, um, I love the idea of, I think the rituals and touch points and things like that are real great. Um, I, and I don't think it's anything different, but I, I, for my own mental health practices, I, I, I have just that I have practices. So I have like, in fact, today, uh, the last few days, I've been going through a bit of a low. And this morning, here's when I the way that I approach a day where I'm like, uh, a lot of my faculties are not going to work today. Like there are I'm not going to bootstrap today. Like there's there's a lot of uh, it's just going to have to I'm just going to have to deal with it but what I start to implement from experience is I, I have certain things I'll say to myself, which I call uh, like perspective practices. Um, like today I'll be like, don't make any decisions about how your career is going. You just get a day off from that. So I don't have to make <laughs> any decisions. I don't have to make any plans. I try to find like simple ways to be a contribution. I try to touch, I try to get out of my head and get into my body. Um, and then I'll remind myself, I, and I picked this up from Jewel, who's an endlessly a, 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 just a gift to us all. But I <laughs> so had we're talking about
0: Michael W. Smith and Jewel, and Jewel so far. So I'm this, just this is really interesting. Uh, I'm going to start a chart of how many
2: how many people I can name drop that I've never <laughs> met. Um, but she, but she said a story that I was like, oh, I've had that same experience. Where she said when she was she was homeless for a while, and she was uh, real suicidal, and she. At one point, she sat at the beach and watched the tide come in and go out, which is, a, that's like 12 hours. That's not like, oh, I stopped in 20 minutes, saw the sunset and walked away. And I maybe haven't done 12 hours, but I've definitely sat at a beach for like six hours and watched the tide come in. And she said, what I learned from that experience is that things happen slowly, but things change. Things are always in change. And can, can I, do I have enough in me to wait out? just this moment? Can I just wait a little bit longer for the change to happen? And uh, I think that really resonates with me uh, because I think about that a lot of just like, today might feel awful, but today is just today. And something can come that you don't see that could change it. There's lots, so there's very much for me, the strategy to approach life is like I've worked on some practices that I implement on the days I need it, um, which I think is very similar to like having rituals. Like there, are, whether I like it or not, like these are the things I'm going to do because it helps keep me in touch with. Mm-hmm. Which I think we would all agree cognitively that life is this gift, this miracle. But there are days that I don't want the miracle either, you know. So we, you know. <laughs> We can have, we can be like, I know life is a miracle. There's data for that, but it doesn't mean that you like the miracle that day. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. so how do we like give ourselves a pass on that day to like have to be the proclaimer of the miracle? Yeah. yeah.
0: What would you say one of your main practices is? You did say, get out of my head and into my body. Like what does something like that look like for you? Um, Like uh, I went on, I did a,
2: Gosh, I feel like if you say I did a workout, that means you're really into it. Look, I, I have small children. I haven't gone to the gym for like a couple weeks, but I, I knew I had time. So I, I could do orange theory. So I signed up for a class and I did that. Mm-hmm. Um, last week, my wife was out of town for like a, for six days. So I had all three of our kids, which is just a lot of like taking care of the house and a lot of childcare. And I could feel the like meaningless monster as she left, I could feel the meaningless monster being like, your career is over. You're just, you're just a man who takes care of children and washes dishes. And so I knew that I needed to do something that would kind of invigorate me. So there's a part in Austin that's down by the lake that has a trail around it. I was like, I'm going to drop my older kids off and I'm going to take my toddler every morning to the lake and I'm going to either run or walk, whatever I can do that day. And I'm just going to do it. And I did that four days in a row. And that kept me, so I got out of my head and into my body. and that kept me, that was like the jump start I needed. Then for the rest of the day, I was like, well, I did that, and that just helps my that helps my mindset. And And then when I would be able to do accomplish a couple little things, but just go, you know what? This is okay. I'm on like a forced vacation, which mm-hmm. is probably what I needed anyways. So, <laughs> so there's things like that. Like uh, I, a, a walk, swim laps. Those are my favorite. Um, I try to eat good food, not just like, not just like uh, emotional food, but something that's real good. Cause I think there's a power in a meal that can like change your perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to talk to a friend. These are the, oh, so these are, we're talking about like my depressed days. This is actually when I'm doing like tours and shows. Uh, When I get back, I'm tired. The next day I'm tired, the next day I'm depressed. So now we're talking about like my depressed day practices. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah, I can tell you those. I don't make any decisions about my future. I don't make any decisions about how my career is working out. Mm -hmm. I go on a walk, swim laps, I eat good food. I talk to a friend, I listen to music, Um, no podcasts. I listen to music or poetry. Um, no offense to those who are listening to a podcast right now. Um, <laughs> and that's about it. Yeah. Hug, hug somebody. That's oh, a hug's good. That's <laughs> we, Holly and I will do this where we're it, some, we heard somewhere like if you need, if you hug somebody longer than 20 seconds, it, it releases like
1: chemicals mm-hmm.
2: in you. So I'll just be like, I need a 30 second hug. Yeah, <laughs> and we'll I just like sit and just hold oxytocin. each other.
1: Oxytocin. Yeah. Oxytocin.
2: Yeah. In fact, when I've been gone for a long time from home, uh, like doing shows or doing work or something, in a safe and consent consensual way, I'll ask people I'll be like, "Could you give me a long hug?" Because nobody's, because I'm not around the people who hug me, and I haven't had a hug for like a few days, and <laughs> and somebody's always willing to give a hug. Yes, it, it really, it just there really it is. feels it's good. <laughs> someone, yeah. So it's those kinds of
1: things. <laughs> I'm so curious about like the, just the meaninglessness that comes over at, or in even just the assessment of where your career is going or, yeah. I mean, I think there's something important at some point for us to dive into, but I think that that just feels like an important thing to unpack a bit. Of
2: like- oh, we should, I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> I mean, if you want to, if this is a side gig, great. But, uh, yeah. well, let's, I mean, I could speak to, since it's just a table talk, uh, like i am i am a i'm a self-employed artist i don't have anybody over me going this is what you need to do in your life it's all i mean i have some lists back there and some things i'd like to accomplish but um i don't have a boss that's like you get you know four weeks off in the summer it's just kind of always up to me or what is and so navigating like uh, where is the energy for this where is it going away Do I need to step back? Do I need a detox in some way? Um, I luckily got a two book deal at the beginning of COVID, and now I've accomplished those two books. Um, So there's a bit of kind of like massive projects are done. Um, What you know, I have some ideas of what's next, but there's less. It's it's kind of like a lot of things are finishing. And then the starting of things, you don't often have a name for what it is. You just like, no, you're like, I want to kind of make this, but I'm not quite sure what it is or how it's going to work out. So I think there's a bit of that and tiredness. The meaningless monster, uh, well, I just went and saw that movie,
0: uh, Everything, Everywhere, mm. At All Times. Oh, which <laughs> I just interviewed Ryan from Sunlux uh, oh, yester- really? yesterday okay. about the soundtrack of that movie. And the movie is absolutely bonkers, but I loved yeah. it. It's
2: like one of my favorite films I've seen. And yeah. I, but in it, there's not a meaningless monster, but there's kind of like a, a meaninglessness that turns somebody into a monster. And I was like, oh man, yeah. these guys are talking about this. Um The meaningless monster is just kind of, I, th- I think it might be um, the just, uh, I don't know if I'm ready to talk about it because I think I'm still trying to dive into it a bit.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: How about this? Let me just spitball a few things. Uh, in my own spiritual practice uh, and in my faith practice, and I would be a Christian, although very off-brand on of what that means in America, um, I there's a bit of like there is no plan. You know, like I think one of the things that my religious practice really gave me was just like, God has a plan. And now I'm like, God is involved, but I don't know if there's a plan. I just think the plan is you eventually die. And, and, um, <laughs> and, and what, and what, and so, but Victor Frankl's seminal work, Man's Search for Meaning, his, his way that he helped people Stay alive in concentration camps was like you can't ask life to tell you what the meaning is. Mm-hmm. You have to tell life what you think the meaning is. That's what keeps people alive. Mm-hmm. That's very anti. That's like the opposite of what American Christianity is pitching, mm. right? Because they're just like God's got a plan for you. Then what what he's saying is like you've got a plan for God. I don't know. It's like a different yeah. thing. So um, I his his kind of main three points were like. You got to love something, work on something, and the work of turning suffering into a story. Those are kind Mm -hmm. of his three main points. And so I've been Mm -hmm. thinking about those. Um, You know, Donald Miller took all this stuff and made millions of dollars off of him. So uh, he has plenty (laughs) of resources for that. But like, (laughs) I think like right now I'm kind of in like revisiting that stuff and going, okay, uh, how do I initiate those? How do I pinpoint some of those things? You know yeah. what do you love? What do you want to work on? What do you uh, the suffering we've gone through? Did yeah. it do something for us? Can we find something out of it? Yeah. Thoughts, responses, queries, questions.
1: Well, no, I mean, I just there's such a passivity to how we were raised with God yeah. has a plan, right? Yeah. It doesn't require it doesn't require much on our end other than to be hyper vigilant about. Are you is that is that it is that is that the writing or tell me to go this way left right should I share the gospel with this person on the street like yes <laughs> there's a level, there's a level of hypervigilance but like but a passivity in terms of what it means to move in and to and move in into your life yeah. and I remember like there was I think one scene. I don't know if this is in Frankel's this book the, um, the one that you're talking about but he was talking or he was like in working at the concentration camp and in a moment of you know I don't know if he was despairing, but there was a sense of like, I, I have to find a way to move through this experience. And then he looked up and a light turned on in the house, like, you know, a few miles away. And then a bird came in. And so there's this mystery of like, what, how do yeah. we be in that position of the, not passive, but, but listening yeah. Um. And being attentive to the world around us, but not in a way that's like hyper vigilant and anxious because of making a mistake or getting it wrong. Yes. Yes. But then also initiating. I think that word "initiate" stands out to me. Of like, what does it mean to, to, to take a risk? Yeah. And and I think about Scott. Like the the most recent illustration that you did, I wrote it down because I just I loved it. It's the bird one, and it was nobody wants to die with their song oh. still in them, but few no. are willing to let what needs to die in order for that song to be, to be born. Yeah. And I think so many people get stuck in that. I have so much in me. I have so much longing. And yet I, you know, and we can step into more of like our family of origin and what shapes, I think these moments where we don't know, or we are too scared or we are, or or there's too much judgment in order for us to take that risk Mm
2: -hmm. into
1: generating something. And, and then obviously meaning, meaning, Always follow suit. suit. Yeah. So yeah. I, that's those are my f- initial thoughts.
2: If I can piggyback on that, because what what did I think? Of, uh, an ingredient I left out is the that really faith is entering is the practice of paradox, which is mm-hmm. there. It's it's like what you said. It's like I got to choose, but then I saw a light on, and then I was given things along the way. Mm-hmm. And I think we've all had that experience where it's just like. Sometimes you have to find yourself in a coffee shop or a pub or something and, have, and give yourself a, a good long think and go, mm-hmm. what, what is it that I want to do? But then like also we've, on the other side of that, in a complete opposite way, we've been given signs along the way that let us like, oh, okay. Like Holly and I have a mantra, which is like a phone call and, or an email can change everything which is like sometimes there's things that you're not in charge of that come into your life and they change the trajectory of your life. And your life is kind of in the paradox of both. So the way that faith practice makes the most sense to me is like, God is doing something to me, whether I like it or not. And I know that can sound sketchy for like, well, you didn't get my permission. you know, But Mm -hmm. it's like, it's like if somebody buys your meal at a restaurant, it's like, it's that kind of love where a friend throws a surprise party for you. It's like doing something for the benefit of you. But then there's also this invitation to be like, what do you want to do too? Or how do you want to be? It's not necessarily like, what do you want to do? Like vocationally? It's like, how do you want to be? What do you, you know, what is it, what do you want your life to be like? There's it's both. And, and I think it's in their, in the same way and or it's the in there together it's this kind of paradox where i think maybe what you're relating to or referencing our upbringing was a lot of like just kind of putting it on god and then finding ourselves later on in our lives like <laughs> i don't know what i'm supposed to do with myself uh-huh. and then we and then we went to a coach or somebody and they were like well what do you want to do and like i've never thought about that <laughs> because i was told <laughs> i was told everything i wanted to do was sinful. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> oh, <laughs> right. Unless it was mission work, yeah. Or how do I be a missionary doing it, you
0: know? Something like that. I forget where I heard this, but somebody said this to me recently, and it just really struck me. But they said, if you think about even what Jesus did in the Gospels, they said all of his miracles were interruptions while he was on his way to go do something else. Like oh. all of all of the miracles he did were like detours and interruptions. And um, you know, it's like he'd be on his way somewhere and then somebody would start yelling at him. Hey, come heal me. Yay, come heal my, do-. you know, they were all interruptions. And, uh, and so I'm like, how does that fit into this idea of the plan? And earlier, um, Heather, you were talking about two of the things that were disrupted through the pandemic is that there was a loss of purpose and uh, a loss of our circadian rhythm or a loss of our cyclical nature in, in some sense. And I think that's a that's a real fascinating thing and something that that I wrote about and I'd be curious your thoughts on this, but and just my background, I, I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't grow up from a faith practice or anything. I grew up Southern heathen is what I tell people you know <laughs> out in the church. <laughs> yeah the church of Leonard
2: skinner is that what it yeah, was yeah like? yeah basically
0: yeah i i grew up in a little rural tobacco town we hung out under bridges at night you know to have something to do and you know it was like you know super super crazy stuff but you know my i wrote the book uh naming the animals and the whole premise is that it's it's about partnership mm-hmm. and you're talking about well god has a plan and i think that has that premise can even shut people down from finding what truly causes them to come alive. And naming the animals comes from, uh, of course, Genesis, where in the in the creation narrative, he says, um, well, whatever Adam called them, that was their name. And so it's like, okay, well, well, the divine being the creator of the entire cosmos who just stretched everything into existence didn't need his little dirtling to name his creation. But there was something of, of creative, divine human partnership that I think is, is beautiful. And we did a um, an artist profile on Simone Veil. if you're familiar with her. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. I, I wrote like a short profile on Simone Veil. And one of the things that she talked about is that you know, the Christian faith in particular, it didn't necessarily deliver you from suffering or from meaninglessness or from plans gone awry or any of that, but it actually gave purpose in the midst of suffering. And that made me think of what the story you were telling about is like, yeah, sometimes there is no plan, sometimes there is no pathway, sometimes a pandemic ruins everything, but somehow mm-hmm. in the midst of that, I think the mystic in me gets excited to find the miracles in the madness, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I I am amening and amening because, like, <laughs> I knew Heather in Seattle, but like the only reason we're talking is because years ago, I, I got pushed to a place of obscurity. And I found myself in this like little basement studio that I'd built out. My friends at this church let me have a space. I built out a little space, no windows. And they kept the trash down there like once a week. Um, and, and I wasn't involved in anything. And the conversation that I entered into in that little space was, what do you want to talk about? Like obscurity, the question in obscurity is like, what do you have to say? What do you want to talk about? What's your perspective? Not what are they doing? How do you partner with? It's like, what do you want to talk about? And I had to sit in that. And I was just like, I think the way that at least the way I feel like people are talking about God doesn't make any sense to me anymore. And I want to figure out how to do that better. The art associated with it is it could be better. And I'd like to make something that felt more real. And then I, in a way I didn't know how to describe it, but I said, I want to make weird liturgies is kind of what I was. So those are the, and that is what I started implementing from that spot, which has led me to, I feel like talking today. Mm -hmm. So I needed that like obscurity, but so there, in some ways there was like a divine push to that. And then in that I had to get in touch with something Mm -hmm. in me. So I, I agree with you. Like there's this like participation. Mm -hmm. Um, A a way that I help frame myself is uh, a question that I ask, which is what does being in this situation, what is the only conversation I can have by being here? Like what, cause I have this running theory. If Jesus wants me somewhere else, I would be. So and I don't know, I don't, I'm not trying to argue that if that's true or not, it, what it gets, <laughs> but what it gets me to ask is like, well, okay, well, I'm finding myself here. So what is the conversation that this helps me get in touch with that? Maybe mm-hmm. if I was like, if I was busy, 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 I wouldn't have time for, but when I'm like stuck at home, mm-hmm. well then what do I have to ask? You know, there's like yeah. certain spaces in our lives allow us to have reveal certain kind mm-hmm. of conversations.
0: Yeah. That makes me think in my own life, I've, always preferred the word invitation over calling sometimes the calling just feels too overarching and external and demanding it's like i have this exterior thing i've got to live up to but what is the invitation i think that in every moment we have an invitation you know and um whether that is being in the midst of one situation or another i think there's always Mm. an invitation for us I tend to use that word over calling. Thank you for listening to the Makers and Mystics Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, give us a follow on Instagram at Makers and Mystics and leave a kind review on iTunes. If you'd like to go deeper into these conversations on art and faith, you can join the Makers and Mystics Creative Collective at patreon.com slash makers and mystics. We'll see you again next week, and until then, keep creating. The world needs your art.